Hey, what's up? How about this, listeners? Welcome to another episode of How About This? And on today's episode, we go deep. We take a deep dive into the world and universes of Bioshock. We are so excited to share this episode with you, and we hope you enjoy it. Now, would you kindly continue to listen? Hello, Internet, and welcome to another episode of How About This? And we have a doozy for you today. We're going to be tackling a very popular, I'm going to say recent, gaming franchise that hasn't been around as some of the others, but we'll get to that in a little bit. As always, it is amazing to be here with you talking about, well, all sorts of things from all sorts of the entertainment spectrum. And here with me today, like every time we do this show, is the man himself, the man in the lighthouse, the man in the tower, Mr. Jordan Hugh. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Mike. My, oh, oh, sea captain, my sea captain. How about that? <laughs> that I'll take that. I'll take that for that. <laughs> today, we're, today we're doing literally a deep dive. Yeah, it's it's funny. <laughs> literally it's, deep. You know, where this, this, this series started, at least for me, was uh, very much in the ocean. Not personally, but the game itself. <laughs> so yes, diving deep is something that you have to do in this franchise, or at least in some of the franchise. We have to tell them what the franchise is. Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, we, we usually forget to do that at the beginning because we like to be... <laughs> Because we know foolishly poetic about stuff and like we're like we're trying to hold something back and there's no Listen, point. The only kind of good poetry is foolish poetry. So today's <laughs> today's today's episode is a is about the very popular video game franchise of the last 20 years. Bioshock. And we're talking about our takes on Bioshock. And I think Jordan's yeah. going to take us real deep on this one because I think he's got some wonderful ideas for it from yeah. our prior conversations. But also this is something, it's a, it's a more modern franchise. It's something that hasn't been around as long as some of the others. Now, Bioshock technically dates itself back to System Shock 2, which was a PC game that takes place in space right. uh, by the company Irrational Games, who went on to do Bioshock and then Bioshock 2 and then Bioshock Infinite. And apparently they're making another Bioshock game somewhere down the line without involving the head designer, Ken Levine, who has started his own company. I think it's like Ghost Story Games or something like that. Bioshock is something of a modern phenomenon. It's a modern phenomenon because this first Bioshock game, now System Shock is like a precursor, right? They call it like- Which I, Yeah, I've never played that. I feel like quite a lot of people haven't played that. Bioshock was like the big name, but there would be no Bioshock without this System Shock game, essentially, right? But System Shock and System Shock 2 were PC-only games, and System Shock 2 is the one that really just is pretty much Bioshock, but on like a space station it came out in 1999 but bioshock wouldn't release until august 21st 2007 and i actually remember the day that i got bioshock because it's fairly recent and it's it's always been really special to me as a series i think it's one of the first series of its ilk at that point in time it felt different than everything else that was out at that time even though it did use a lot of the mechanics that you see behind a normal first person shooter game yeah right so i think the best thing to do is to start can explain a little bit about what bioshock is but i think a lot of folks already know yeah. and then maybe talk about our experiences with the game a little sure i, I won't give too much of an overview here because i feel like it's a you know definitely a known property but it's it was probably one of the first fps's to dive very deeply into story <laughs> and character development oh yeah dive deeply again god damn it you were almost playing it in the same way you would have played like a you know, back in the day, like a mist or a ribbon or something mm -hmm. like that, just trying to figure out what the fuck happened. Because very much in the first Bioshock game, you are down there in the underwater city of Rapture, but the, the heyday of that city has passed you by. You're trying to essentially figure out what went wrong because it's basically, you're in hell, basically, in the first game. It's this ruined, beautiful city. You're exploring it. You don't fully understand your role or what your ties are to the story. And actually most of the story, which is so bizarre, is told through audio logs, basically yeah. diaries that you find left around the city. Very, very rarely do you play a game where you're experiencing the story after it's already happened and trying to piece it together. Unless like you said, like it's a mist or maybe some sort of detective style game. Right, yeah. But very rarely are you- Not Mario is missing. <laughs> no, definitely not. That game's terrible. <laughs> Problem is that game as it's happening. Um, but in Bioshock, in Bioshock, you're getting to the city after it's been destroyed and that's that felt really good and really different and really 
original back in 2007 to kind of visit a place like after it had fallen. Like we don't typically see that. Sometimes in video games, we're the thing that causes the fall or we're trying to prevent the fall. In Bioshock, you're not preventing anything. It's already happened. You're trying to kind of at least end what's what's left of the problem down in Rapture. So the story of Bioshock, just to glaze it over a little bit, is a man by the name of Andrew Ryan decides that in his very and uh, and Ryanian is that what they call it? Uh, Ayn Rand, Ayn Rand, yeah. Ayn Rand, Ayn Rand. That's it. Ayn Randian philosophy decides to completely leave society and start a pretty much a objectivist utopia that's under it. the ocean. Yeah. That is away from all taxes and away from all religions and away from all governments. And they can pretty much have this perfect society underwater. Obviously, everything goes... Doesn't go that well. Doesn't go well at all. And the the society falls apart, mostly because obviously you're a city under the ocean, which in itself has some issues. And then a big part of Bioshock is that they find these sea slugs that allow people to... They can harvest this energy from them to give people powers... Yeah, And these powers are called uh, plasmids, which allow you to kind of control the elements, use telekinesis, do all this sort of stuff. It's a very right, video are, game. Those were like the de facto power-ups of the game. Yeah, yeah, they were fun. They were fun, but it, it, it rewrites your genetic code. So these people in the city of Rapture go crazy and uh, eventually rip each other apart. So yep. that's pretty much the overall premise of the first Bioshock game. And I started the series with Bioshock. I did not play System Shock 2. I still haven't played System Shock 2. So you played the game, point. you played Bioshock when it first came out in 07. Yes. So I, the, my experience with Bioshock is I had bought it probably a few days after it had come out. I was seeing, I used to watch a lot of tech TV, G4 tech TV, specifically a bunch of shows that were on during the day. One of them was a show called Cinematech. And for about two years, they would show trailers from this game called Bioshock, where they would show a guy kind of walking around what we now know as Rapture, the city under the sea and he's attacked by pretty much the mascot or the poster boy for bioshock the big daddy (laughs) big daddy who's essentially a it's like a it's it's a guy in a dive suit that is being kept alive by some sort of energy and it's just this big hulking dive suit with a drill for a hand and i remember seeing the video of it and the lead character trying to fight this thing and then him getting his hand drilled and like doing like the Shaun of the Dead, like trying to cover his face and you could see the big daddy through the hole in his hand. It was really, really uh, kind of gory for something that they would show on TV. And I remember that and I'm like, oh, cool, this is cool. I'll, I'll, I'll wait for this to come out. And then eventually it launched a demo on Xbox Live Arcade. And this was like when you couldn't, you didn't get demos in the mail anymore right. or in like a magazine. Like you still got them in magazines, but this was at a point on the Xbox 360 where they could just put the demos online. You could download them. So I remember downloading this demo and playing through it with a friend of mine. As soon as the demo was over, we immediately both went to the game store, both bought our own copies of Bioshock and then left for the day. Like it was relatively <laughs> early in the day and we're like, yeah, we're good. Well, we're going to play through this and we'll, we'll, we'll catch up soon. Back when, you know, you could hang out with people in person. <laughs> so from that moment, I was hooked. I've always thought Bioshock is a very fascinating series because of that. Played Bioshock 2 and Bioshock Infinite. I played them both upwards, uh, up up and down and left and right in all different directions. I very much enjoyed my runs of Bioshock. There's a lot of customization and things you could do with it to change it every single time you play. It's a very interesting series. It Nothing quite feels like it. It's both a survival horror game and it's a first person shooter, but it doesn't really stress too much on shooting. Uh, it doesn't have to be super accurate. It's not like playing a Call of Duty or something. Right. And it's just, a, it's a game that values its own story and its own lineage. And it's something that tackles the premise of multiple realities really, really well. And it's very interesting to see how that how that works. What about you? So I, I went in backwards. I never played the original game in 07. I remember you playing it, honestly. I remember other people around me being like, oh, Bioshock's amazing. And for people that weren't around at that time, like in video games, like really into them, like Bioshock was kind of a movement at the time. It was really like, this is a game to pay attention to. This is going to change how games are played. And I, I... I knew the game had a specialness, but I never played it. Never played that one, number two, none of those. It wasn't until 2013 when Bioshock Infinite came out where I was like, I loved the advertising campaign. They were releasing, was it Game Informer that did like the Saturday Evening Post style covers and stuff, which looked so beautiful. And I was like, all right, I'm in. This looks just gorgeous. I have to play it. So I picked it up probably on release day and I bought like the special edition of it. So I got like the cool box and the little toy and whatever it was. And I dove in and I'll tell you, I've been so rarely consumed by a game. Like I just sat down. I think I played the whole thing through in like a week. Immediately, as soon as I finished, here's how I knew I loved it. I finished it and I said, 
I'm restarting the game. And I played it over immediately just to grab achievements, play it again, take some different paths, just kind of do my thing. And I, I fell in love with, with Infinite. But what's funny about Infinite is that it rests heavily on the lore of the first two, even though it's telling a new story. So spoilers for Infinite, stop listening now <laughs> if, you, if you haven't played the originals. But at the end of Infinite, you kind of find out that you're still very much connected to to Rapture in the first two games because you're almost playing like a, an alternate past. So I said, you know, eventually I have to get back to these games, but it wasn't until, man, this year, it took me seven years to get to really sitting down and playing Bioshock, Bioshock 2, and all of the, you know, the sort of offshoots, DLC, Minerva's Den, and all that stuff. Also, Bioshock Infinite had some of the best DLC content I've ever seen because the two parts of Burial at Sea, which are the adventures that kind of came out alongside of Infinite, were in their own right amazing games, which was basically playing the Infinite story through Rapture with some added closure for Booker, Elizabeth, and Comstock. Really amazing stuff. I've never experienced anything like it. It's a, it's a top five all-time game for me, Infinite. And the series overall is a top 10. It's, it's, it's truly great. Yeah, it's definitely special. It's kind of upsetting that we haven't seen anything from Bioshock in the last seven years. But without Ken Levine being there, I don't know which direction they're going to go in. I don't know how they're going to take it other than milking uh, it for what it's worth. I'm sure they will. I guess, I'm sure there's been more written about this, but I've not been very diligent in looking it up. And other people listening to this might know but it, it seems like i think ken levine's kind of done with the story yeah I think and if so. you and if you played through burial at sea part two the the story is finished like definitively like that loop is closed so i don't know what new kind of thing they're going to do a lot of people have hypothesized they will do like some kind of like underground thing because that's the only that's environment I mean. that they haven't worked with you know that with like <laughs> you know thermodynamic nuclear powered city or something like that i don't know well when i was thinking about my pitch i was just like well they've done the sky they've done the ocean we, they've kind of done space with system shock and what are they going to do underground next that could have that could work that could totally uh, work it's just that i feel like like you said the loop is closed right the story's told I, I i'm concerned about another bioshock game that tries to expand the story or do something that's similar just in a different place even though right. that's kind of what Bioshock is about. I'm a little concerned. Uh, Bioshock is tough. It's a franchise that was very much um, the last decade, right? It was very right. much something that kind of conquered the end of the aughts and the beginning of the the teens, I guess. And pretty much one of the most important games of the last generation, a generation of video games that was kind of weird and kind of lesser than a lot of the generations before it. And it was great that Bioshock was able to kind of rise above the rest and push the narrative forward into to like this whole, into the cultural conversation. So it's, it's, it's remarkable for that aspect. And the storytelling in it is great, but very simple. You know, I, which I like. And it has a great twist, right? It has a great twist that in the original Bioshock game, you're playing as this character who's kind of getting orders from the guy you have to stop. So right. it's it's very interesting that 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 works and you know, you're being commanded through a command phrase. And that really stuck with me when I first played it. And for us, you know, people who have experienced Bioshock at different times, I'm always interested to see how anything else in regards to the series really sticks with either of us or what we expect right. out of Bioshock moving forward. Mm. And personally, I don't think the future of Bioshock rests within the video games. I agree. Uh, I don't yeah. think the future of Bioshock rests within telling more of that story in a gaming way. I'm, like you said, I think Ken Levine is done. It was his baby. It was his property, you know, his story, I guess. And like... Where do you go from there, right? He kind of mm -hmm. tied it up with a bow. It wasn't like a George Lucas thing where he's just like, well, I wrote 10 movies and, you know, we only saw the middle three. This is like Ken Levine was just like, no, it's done. It's done. And honestly, I'm okay with that. The problem is, is that Bioshock is a big name and they could slap it on something that isn't oh, yeah. very Bioshocky, and it'll sell a few million units and it, it, it is what it is. I would almost rather just see the original series, you know, to continue together in its collection to get to get ported to newer consoles. I mean, it's on everything now. You can get it pretty much everywhere. And even on can, Switch now. Even on Switch. <laughs> and you can, it's exactly, you can take Bioshock on the go. But like, it's it's one of those things where it's just like, yeah, okay, sometimes franchises, at least in their current medium, need to end. Need to yeah. end. And we're seeing that now, and I'm not going to bring it up <laughs> <laughs> not going to turn this into another Star Wars conversation. Every episode turns into a Star Wars conversation. But like, no, but it's, I'm, not, I'm not wrong about that, right? <laughs> Star Wars in film form is kind of done. I think we're kind of done with Star Wars in film form. We've realized that there are other avenues that we can tell these stories yes. much better. I will and not dig in here. Otherwise, we'll have a Star 
Wars podcast. But yes, I agree. And I think that Bioshock is one of those things where it's like the gaming stories are done. Let's tell Bioshock stories in other ways. And I think that there's so much, like you said, lore about it, all those audio logs, all that yeah. backstory. But the, the issue is, is that the head writer no longer works for the company that produces it. So who knows right. if we'll get anything from him. And it's kind of hard to do it without him. But that's why people like us are around, right? Because we have to essentially pontificate our, right. <laughs> our wacky ideas to the <laughs> yeah. So uh, allegedly there has been a film script for Bioshock just kind of floating around from studio to studio for years in what they refer to as development hell in yeah. Hollywood, where it just it, they can't get it off the ground. And it seems like at this point we probably won't get it. But you know what? Who knows? Uh, there We've got kind of the streaming service wars going on right now. And I think if somebody wants to throw enough money and effort at this, they could have a really good project on their hands. And I think that's what we're going to be talking about today. I, I think it would be beautiful for Bioshock Imagine a Bioshock like limited series, right? Yep. Like I we're mean, about, I'm, we're about to imagine. It. Oh well, <laughs> then I'm not going to talk about that. But you know what, though, like you said, with development hell, the Uncharted movie has been in the same yeah development hell for the last ten years, and that's a similar a like times. big name series that people for years have been like, "Where's this movie?" And it came out around the same time. So Uncharted yeah. and Bioshock are kind of contemporaries of each other, even though they don't really play the same way. And the Uncharted movie got made. So right. who knows what's going to happen moving forward. And also with this whole streaming service wars, each of these streaming services that we, we use now and that we're, uh, we're, we're bought in with, each of them is going to need their quote unquote killer app like old video game consoles mm -hmm. used to need. Right. Disney has their million shows that are coming out and Netflix will need more stuff because I don't think too many more people are signing on because of Stranger Things season four or the, or the Queen's Gambit. So these streaming services definitely could benefit from this type of property, I think. Something that has some some depth to it. And what's beautiful about- Oh, oh, oh. Some oh, depth. I did it. <laughs> and the, the sky, I'll tell you right now, the sky is the limit Oh, when it comes to Bioshock. And also like, and you'll probably get into this because you're very, uh, your ideas are very well thought out, but Bioshock, it gives you different, locales and different time periods to play with you could do yep. a whole lot with that and, sure I does. Think, and i think that's one of the best the best aspects of it because it's not just stuck in a single city at a single time it kind of can move around and something about bioshock to me can give me almost and not totally but it can give me a little bit of a westworld feel absolutely because i think that westworld kind of took some things from bioshock that jonathan nolan and lisa joy kind of said hey yeah we, we played some video games like this and kind of took that morality system and said all right, well, let's run with that idea. Well, you got to think, right? West, what is Westworld other than like an actual video game? Right. Essentially, it's a video game kind of brought to life. When you have stuff like Westworld that exists behind a, a facade of reality, right? It's, you know, Bioshock, both games, the cities that are created are, are both facades and they're kind of not real, right? There's a, there's a, there's a, the degree of simulation there that is not maybe as deep as say something like Westworld, but they're perfect societies that are held together with the band-aids and duct tape of lies and deceit. Right, exactly. And in many ways they go deeper to criticize the societies that create them. You know, yeah. that's that's the same in Westworld where they have like a Frankenstein situation going on. That's the that's absolutely the same story of both Rapture and Columbia, which are societies that are created to benefit ultimately very few while most people are suffering. I feel like it, it's definitely something that is good in the cultural conversation has something like Bioshock yeah. because it does does present a lot of um, questions at least. We have two cities and you know we know Rapture, we know Columbia. Columbia is the turn of the century city of the sky. It's almost like a early 1900s Main Street 1912, Fair. Yeah. 1912, yeah. 1912, like Main Street Fair all the time. It's like walking down Main Street at Walt Disney World. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just like that. Pretty Actually, much I think that's what Ken Levine described it as, yeah. Most most definitely, uh, definitely draw, drawing from that because in both cities are almost like theme parks of their own. So it's very interesting to see how this can translate and how we can kind of broaden the story, I think, a little bit with Bioshock. And right. I'm going to toss it to you, man. What, okay. do you, what do you got to tell me? All right, so this is my pitch. How about this? I would like mm. to see... Oh, 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 oh. How about this? I would like to see Bioshock as a miniseries yeah. on a streaming service. Mm -hmm. I will go ahead and pick HBO Max, which is currently my favorite streaming service. But I think this it's would the best fit, right now, yeah. Yeah, I think so. This would fit home nicely on Netflix or Amazon, or I just don't want to give it to the worst streaming service, which right now is absolutely CBS All Access. Seriously, <laughs> fuck you guys. I love Wait. Stephen King, but I'm not fucking subscribing to CBS All Access. <laughs> absolutely not. So here's what I would like to do for this miniseries. So first, we're going to anthologize it. So the anthologization of the series is going to have like the Bioshock heading, just like the games do. And then we will kind of title each season 
after what our sort of major locale or period is. So season one would be referred to as Rapture. I like that. And, and season two would follow the events after the fall in terms of doing the, the Bioshock 2 storyline. And season three, which would wrap it up, would do, we, we would actually call it Infinite. I'm still, you know, still need a working title for that middle season. I don't know if we want to refer to it as Minerva's Den, but that doesn't, doesn't quite work. So I will, I, I need to maybe workshop the middle Ra- title a little Rap- bit more. You don't want to call it Rapture 2, Electric Slugaloo? <laughs> I think actually that, I think that's a better title than I would have <laughs> up with. Otherwise, yes, perfect. I like the idea. I like the idea because You'd probably call it Delta. Just call it after yeah, the, the main guy. Name it, name it after the guy. Yeah, I, so we'll I, go Rapture Delta Infinite is fine. I like the idea a lot of bringing it to something like that because we're learning pretty much week after week, month after month, that long form storytelling is where people want to watch their stuff. I, I, you know, I love movies. I'm a big fan of movies, but a lot of the properties that we like benefit from being told in a long form format. So Bioshock, imagine having three seasons of like eight to 10 episodes of Bioshock. I think that's great. Yeah, I think so too. And I think there's a lot of story in Bioshock, like too much to really reasonably cram into a two hour movie. Yeah, of course. Even with a sequel. So I think a miniseries is the way to go. And with the way a miniseries is plotted out, as you said, because it's broken up into an episodic fashion, it is a lot more like playing each successive level of the game. Mm-hmm. I don't think we could translate things directly. So this would be sort of my recommendation. And I think a lot of people have had this idea, but I'm just going to say it out loud. So for season one, where we're looking at Rapture, there's really two stories that are going on. And I'm going to refer to the book, Bioshock Rapture, that was written by John Shirley, which I actually had the pleasure of reading this year, or I actually listened to the audiobook. Which oh, that's probably pretty, pretty awesome, good. though. Yeah, it was good. Now, the audiobook, or I should say the, the book Bioshock Rapture by Shirley, actually mostly follows the story of Bill McDonough. McDonough is one of the many, many audio log characters whose voice you're hearing in the first Bioshock game. He's He's the Irish gentleman who's a plumber for Mr. Ryan. And uh, yeah, this this dude just started off as literally fucking Andrew Ryan's plumber in New York City. And he literally just like the way he's like, oh, this guy did a good job on my toilet. Come be like the head plumber for all raptures. Ridiculous. I just want to point out that an Irish plumber from Brooklyn or New York sounds iffy to me. <laughs> I, I don't know. I only trust I only trust Italian plumbers from New York. Wow. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> if there are some turtles to fight, we can exactly can maybe maybe if they get stuck in the sewers, they're better. I don't know. So the story is actually very charming because, again, McDonough's a charming character, and we kind of need that because famously, the first Bioshock game has a lead character that's similar to like Link says nothing. The character doesn't speak. Yeah, that's bad. I, um, I, I'm sick of the silent protagonist. I'm slowly but yeah. surely looking to get rid of that trope. Yeah, absolutely. And and we actually we actually wouldn't be able to do it because there was no. no way you could watch a show where the main guy doesn't talk. So you would actually have to develop Jack as a character. And I'm recommending going like leaning someone into someone with like a big personality. I'd actually love for some reason this time around with this pitch, I was thinking someone like Tom Hiddleston. Oh yeah. Uh, I was oh. I was specifically thinking of his character from Kong Skull Island. Yeah. Where he's got almost like this, you know, mercenary, the guy you hire to do these kinds of jobs things. Because if you remember from the first Bioshock game, Jack's purpose in Rapture is very scurrilous. It's sort of strange. You're not really sure why he's there. The initial mission is that you are working for Atlas. Atlas, who is, we don't even know, he's an Irish rebel character who seems to have led a people's resistance in Rapture and his family is now trapped in the city. Again, it's a video game, so this is just kind of like the first quest you go on is to help find this guy's family. So you're starting off in a very white hat fashion. I think that's an okay start to the game. You're still hired by this guy, Atlas, to go in there, get my family out of the ruined city any way you can. And Hiddleston, or a similarly charismatic actor, can pull it off in a charming way, which would keep an audience interested. Now, as you go through the series, instead of finding out things through the audio logs, we're just going to go ahead and flashback because you want to be able to see the city before and after the fall of that yeah. New Year's, that infamous attack on New Year's 1959 that really split the city in two in terms of Atlas's war on, on Ryan. And by the way, spoilers for, for Bioshock coming up throughout the entire podcast. Seriously, don't fucking listen to this episode if you haven't played all the games. Like, I hope this isn't like your first experience with Bioshock. Oh, I've never heard of that. Let me listen to a podcast (laughs) about it. Yeah, why the hell are you here? You know Um, what, dude, if that gets more people to comment on our post, I'm fine with it. Okay, (laughs) that's fine. So yeah, I think you can do a lot of like Titanic-esque transitions where like Jack is looking at or experiencing a ruined area of the city and then it like just kind of like seamlessly 
fades into the past of what it used to look like and how it used to be before. Part of the interest of that series is in uncovering things from the past, but audio logs, that's not, that's something that only works in a video game. That's never going to work in a visual medium like a movie Absolutely or a television not. show, you know? And I think people will be very fascinated about seeing the world from, you know, the time before. The John Shirley novel did a great job with this where, you know, characters like McDonough and Elaine and Ryan and Fontaine and, and Suchong and, and Tannenbaum, these are all real people with really intricate lives. So when they pop up again in the rapture of, of 59, when, when Jack is, uh, you know, going through it, you want to feel like you have a relationship with these characters already. Yeah, exactly. These people have been down in the city for like 10 years at this point. So you yeah. want to know like what came before. So the first series is very much going to tell the story of the rise and fall of rapture as Jack is exploring it in the present. That's beautiful. I think that's um, great. Yeah, I just want to discuss a little bit of casting. And now you're pretty familiar with the game. So yes, I, I want you to tell me if you think these are good choices. So Jack, who was already a faceless nobody, I'm sure you're enjoying the Tom Hiddleston casting. I know you're a Loki of fan. Of course, I'm a big Loki fan. There you uh, go. Loki's great. I put Tom Hiddleston in more. Yeah, and you need someone who's a charmer who can also play something more serious. And I, I like that Hiddleston is also not like a young man. He's like, yeah. you know, kind of a later 30s actor. I think that's good. That that kind of says like a certain capability to me. I am still very stubborn in that I want Mark Strong to play Atlas slash Frank Fontaine. I think that's great casting, man. Mark Strong is so good and he's, he's so, so good, good. As a villain. Yeah. Also, he just he's a dead ringer for what the animation for yes. Fontaine looks like. And I'm it's, like, you you have to use this guy. Hey, it's me. It's Frank Fontaine. Yeah. By the way, still probably for me, that's still like the best twist in video games where you're like, oh, I love Atlas. He's so cool. He's the good guy. And then his fucking voice changes. And it's like, you realize you're working for Frank Fontaine. Yeah, it's right. I go from being an Irish, an Irish Atlas man to going to being right from Brooklyn, kid. Let me tell you something about Frank Fontaine. He oh, takes yeah. prisoners. <laughs> he's the, honestly, and in the novel as well, Fontaine slash Atlas is the best character. I mean, he's like Andrew Ryan's interesting because yeah. he's essentially like Vincent Price meets Walt Disney. <laughs> Right. But like at the at the same time, it's like, all right, cool. That's the guy we're trying to kill. And then you do. And then it's just like, oh, is the game over? And it's like, uh, 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 you didn't say the magic word. And then you have to you have to do Fontaine stuff. So him being a presence in that game is just in, in the show is is beautiful. It's it's hard to cast the other characters because you could almost go with a, you know, almost a few different people because the video games, while they do characterize them nicely and the novel does a really nice job as well, the visual aspect is is a little less important. They really could look like anyone. You know, I just I went with Mark Strong because that's who I wanted. But for example, looking at a character like Sander Cohen, who's maybe the most interesting character in the first video game because he's so different i'd actually like to see stanley stanley tucci oh yeah um, he's great too i think would do an actor past his prime role in a really nice way yeah and i think he could play crazy well oh yeah oh yeah so I'd go with him for that for the other major characters for bridget tannenbaum really vital role you want to make sure you have a good strong actress i'm going to go with diane kruger aka Fraulein von Hammersmark from Inglorious <laughs> Bastards. She's awesome. I think she would really do nicely with that character. And I thought there was always sort of an understated attractiveness to that character. And in the novel, she does have a relationship with Fontaine. So I thought that would be something that would would be nice to bring forward into, into some prominence. I like it. Yeah, I think that would work well. I think the most difficult casting of all like the sort of central characters is like, well, who do you get to play Andrew Ryan? Because you do want someone who's super charismatic and like super kind of like because while he is evil he's not like archly evil he is not a character that you should look at and be like oh fuck this guy he's actually like someone you should want to be like oh actually i understand how people got really charmed by him into trying this out so believe it or not i am going with tom hanks Ooh. Uh, i know an actor who already saving played... mr banks exactly you know he played walt disney already and i just i can't get him out of my mind for playing this uh similar role i will say this other actors of his generation who are used to playing sort of more wholesome roles would probably also do really well. I considered William Hurt, who I think is a, a terrific actor. There's there's really a lot of people you could put there. It's just they need to have the big charismatic presence and vaguely, you know, be able to play that there's, you know, sort of something off about them. And I think I think there's a lot of good actors for that. Um, the other actor I would really consider here is Gary. Gary Sinise, I think, is quite, oh, quite good. Yeah, yeah. You know, just reunite them. Put Gary uh, oh, yeah, put them together. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Into one man. Yeah, that's right. Tom Sinise. 
So again, uh, as a TV series, this is kind of how you would go through. And the idea is that you would transition back and forth and hopefully climax or conclude with the episode that concludes with one, you know, probably the penultimate episode is when Jack finally murders Andrew Ryan under the would you kindly command of Fontaine. And then you would have your final episode where you actually you fight Fontaine. This would kind of coincide with, I think, the death of Bill McDonough in the time before, and then also the fall of Rapture. Those, those events could be obviously interchanged because I think actually McDonough dies after Rapture falls. You actually hear about his death as you're playing through the first game. And, and he, again, he's, a, he's one of a few pivotal characters from those audio logs that you want to make sure are featured in some way. I have a um, question for you. Yeah, please. So you want to talk about flashbacks and stuff like that. Now, the show flashes back, right? Do you have your Jack character actually being able to see or experience these flashbacks in any way, shape, or form? That's a great question. Actually, I don't think so. I don't think there's a way that he can believably learn about this stuff until he encounters Tannenbaum for real okay. in the game, and she just kind of tells him about how things work, because there's not that many survivors. Yeah, no, there's not, and it's pretty empty. My, my point was that maybe he accidentally takes some sort of plasmid, and that's the power. Um, right. that he maybe gets a power where he sees things that like, almost like the ghosts that you see in Bioshock, where you're seeing like the ghosts of things that happened before, since Bioshock does have such a tie to its you're past. Right. Yeah. And that could be a cool way of intro introducing something like that, especially because the plasmas are such a big deal, but I don't think you want, you know, I'm not sure if you want him to be able to just constantly light things on fire and hit things with lightning. So it might be interesting to have some more of those like more cerebral plasmids. Maybe you can in get injected with memories, you know, like it's a very weird sci-fi situation so maybe someone like jack you know to learn a little bit more about stuff or even get his own past a little bit before like the, the fight with fontaine maybe he gets injected with some sort of right memory plasmid or something Perhaps like Tenenbaum that and bomb helps him out or something yeah. like that yeah, yeah maybe like i think that's the right point to do it because the whole most of the game most of the show is him trying to figure out what went on and then right you know he's got to get the answers at some point he has cloud strife syndrome too, where mm -hmm. Jack has really terrible memory problems and yeah. he does need to put together at some point, at least in our version or my version of this story that, oh, the reason why his life is so incomplete and he feels so empty is because all of his memories are just fake. Yeah. He hasn't even really had a real life. He's just been genetically aged forward and everything has been a, a terrible charade. Uh, Jack is ultimately a very sad character, which is again, why I insist on hiring someone that has like a sense of humor. Yeah. And can carry us forward a little bit because he should have had a little bit of a life enough to sort of make it believable that he is an actual person. Because if I were to play through a uh, or sorry, if I were to watch a TV show version of just the original video game as is, I'd be like, this guy's a clone or, yeah, or like he's, a, he's some kind of child man the whole time. It's very strange. <laughs> uh, but then again, Jack's whole character is a cable knit sweater in the first one. So it's not even, uh, not even anything. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty rough. Uh, it's pretty rough that that there's not a lot to work with with the Jack character. So you do have to expand it quite a bit. And I think this is a good way to do it, especially, you know, if he the memory problems, has these fake memories, kind of has to piece it all together. Yeah. And then eventually just, you know, finally just puts a nail in that coffin. And then just to very, very briefly go through plans for the other two. Of course, yeah. Bioshock 2 jumps ahead into the 1970s. It's a separate but obviously very similar mission as all the Bioshock games are similar. This time we are basically resurrecting one of the big Big Daddies who were part of an earlier Big Daddy program. This is a gentleman whose name is Johnny Topside. Good Lord, that might have to get changed. <laughs> um, a, th this time, we actually don't need someone as charismatic. We kind of just need a, a bruiser type guy who's like a good, like believable, like military type actor. So I'm actually going to go ahead and pick <laughs> the most generic <laughs> The most generic one of these guys I can pick, like, who is, is the actor who plays Jake Sully. <laughs> that's exactly what it's like. What's his name? Like Sam Wilson or something? No, you it's not. Sam Wilson. That's that's that's. I'm not. One. Get this. I'm not looking this guy's name uh, up because I, I don't fucking care. Hello, Jake Sully. <laughs> I, I, you know, I knew what you were gonna do, go with when you were like the most generic. Yeah, just the Sam Worthington. Isn't Sam that Worthington. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam Worthington. Yeah, yeah generic, generic as fuck. Almost no personality. That's perfect because. I will allow Subject Delta to be a true big daddy in the second one, which is just like, yeah, he's just walking around. And mostly we're going to be in his head with Diane Kruger, with, with Bridget Tannenbaum in the second one. And that's that's fine. The big villain, of course, I would love uh, Uma Thurman to play Sophia Lamb, who I think would be just super good in that role. What's she doing? I mean, come on, sign her up. Everyone's going That's to TV right. these days, baby. Yeah, there's an actor I really have loved for years named Dennis O'Hare, who is a he's mostly a Broadway stage actor. He's done a lot of TV of late. 
And I think good he's time. a really good choice for Augustus Sinclair, who's another obviously major character in Bioshock 2. The real character to look at to make a Bioshock 2 series function is Eleanor. And the introduction, as in the video game, yeah. of the female co-star character, for lack of a better word, is really what made the games run. Like, really what made them more successful. What Bioshock was always missing was a character that you could really empathize with, because that is the problem. Ultimately, you don't care with Jack. Yeah. It's almost like the audio logs retroactively add in some kind of sympathy for him, which you don't feel throughout the game. When you finally have Eleanor in Bioshock 2, it's like the series finally got its heart. Yeah, no, you're right. So I'm going to look at an Anya Taylor-Joy here because we both like her. Yes. And uh, I think she would play a girl who has had a really hard past, uh, but could still <laughs> kick some ass really well, as we will probably see in that Furiosa movie coming out soon. So I think that would be great. And that will be, that will be series two. And then briefly to touch on Bioshock Infinite. Now, this is, this is the coup de grace, okay? Because <laughs> this casting is impossible because he would never agree to it. But Booker Duet? Yes. Booker Duet's the best character in all three games because you finally get like your Indiana Jones-esque swashbuckler type, but he also has to, spoiler, double as the game's villain, the much older, much different, much crazier Comstock. Yeah. And it's like, who can do that? And the only answer is Tom, Tom Cruise. Cruise. Okay. <laughs> Tom Cruise is the only one that can do this. I don't we would need a billion dollars. Listen, if I see you like that again, oh you're gone. You're gone. <laughs> you're fucking fired. You're gone. I don't care. I don't care. You're gone. All right? You're so glib. You're, you're so, so glib, glib, Matt. <laughs> oh, my God. No, actually, you know, Tom Cruise is great for this because he, for all intents and purposes, Tom Cruise looks amazing for his age. So he could definitely yeah. play someone who's who's younger than he is. And also, you can age Tom Cruise up pretty easily. You can age Absolutely. him up easily so he can play the crazy old Comstock. And Tom Cruise, obviously, he's not not adverse to prosthetics. Absolutely. Uh, Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise is a little bit more versatile than people like to give him credit for. And those Mission Impossible movies are pretty good at least the newer ones are absolutely I, I, well I'm, I, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to the new mission impossible movie Me too especially if those two guys are fired <laughs> i think it ended up being like five of them that actually like walked <laughs> yeah, off the people, job at that people love this set because they knew it they knew what would happen they already upset xenu and they're there done you can, um, you can, sorry sorry to sorry to tom cruise it go for it <laughs> no that's, i mean listen that's kind of what's exciting about the casting is because it's so out of its mind but he is so perfect for that character you because really he's so go. out of his mind yeah, you can't go with anyone. Else. And then because you've anthologized the show, when you go back to Rapture at the end of that game, you can still use all the same people. Of course. To basically play their same roles or the different versions of those same roles. If you want, you could bring Anya Taylor-Joy back to do Elizabeth. I think that's great too. Or you could recast Elizabeth. I, I really like the actress Sophia Lillis. I think she's terrific. She yeah, she's excellent. She Beverly in those It movies. I yeah, thought really she's, good. she's got a good look. We'd have to change her famous hair but that's okay I, I you know i think there's there's a lot to do there and i think it obviously this is a big budget impossible dream show but now that they're pumping out stuff like the mandalorian and stuff like that i think you know you could do anything you want dude spoilers for mandalorian oh no i'm not gonna spoil anything anyway yeah they're pumping out all this <laughs> money they're pumping all this money in the tv they know where that's the future and something yeah. like bioshock is, could get people because it's such a known quantity and such a fan favorite series yeah. you know people would sign up for a streaming service to get it because bioshock has sold millions of copies across all three now, right. what you're what you're what you're dishing up right now, and I like what you're serving. What's great about it is that the way in which you've kind of structured each of these seasons, you can kind of get different styles, yeah, of film almost in each season, and then like kind of wrap it up at the end where it all yeah. ties together. You're, I would actually love a different showrunner or a different yeah. director each season to like mm -hmm. give their own styles. So like that first one, you got like that Art Deco yeah, style. Yeah, like detective. This Second one, kind of seedier, nastier, apocalyptic 1970s type stuff. And then that third one, you're, it's old-timey Knickerbocker era, you know? It's almost like the third one is almost like a Western, right? It's almost yeah, like Bioshock. Has Bioshock has like, Bioshock Infinite has like almost like that Western feel. It's like the end of the West, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. Whereas like Bioshock, the first Bioshock or Bioshock Rapture, as you called it, you can really get into the Artego film noir detective vibe, you know, really lean into a little bit of that Chinatown kind of feel to it. Give it that noir feeling with some action and obviously some powers or, and some mysticism. Or depending on your showrunner for that first one, you could go full horror on Yo, the of first course. one. Because that was... There would be no Bioshock without Resident Evil. It's really probably yeah. what it borrows the most from. So you could do that first one as a horror. There yeah. are definitely film noir elements, of course. I think if the series was popular enough to continue, 
you could do a fourth series that is just barely burial at sea and make it yeah. straight up straight up detective story sure. with the femme fatale and everything which is great and like yeah you're right because the movies get away the games get away from being horror games bioshock 2 isn't really it still has the horror elements but it's sure. since you're so amped up because you're delta it changes things and then by bioshock infinite it's just a high it's like a, a swashbuckling adventure, swashbuckling adventure. Yeah, infinite is, is almost cheerful yeah uh, it, yeah it really is to, i think it's to, because you can see the sun <laughs> <laughs> it's true to paraphrase ben yahtzee from from zero punctuation the escapist he says, you know, in the first game, it's like it's like the parties happen. You're trying to figure out what happened at the party. In that third game, Infinite, you you are the party. The party. Everywhere you go, the game responds to you, and that's a really nice feeling. I think the series, if it does well, not having that nice smaller closer, almost like a Valentine to the rest of the series with doing a burial at sea is great. And also, if you have Tom Cruise, which is just he's a planetoid unto himself, if you have Tom Cruise for that fourth series, that's actually to me the best version of Booker. People that are, are familiar with burial at yeah. sea. In that version, he is the older Booker slash the younger Comstock at the same time. Yeah. And he's like a gray-haired, grisly detective with a troubled, troubled past. He's essentially Comstock in hiding. And I'm like, that's a character I want to see Tom Cruise play. And I think that's that's amazing. That's so good. And and this the way you tie it, you could tie it's just it brings the whole room together, man. It's just like <laughs> one of those. Rug. He is the rug. It's just don't pee on Tom Cruise unless, you know, that's what he's into. Anyway, <laughs> oh, no, no, uh, you no, know, thank you. <laughs> space urine. <laughs> so you have this story here and what you could do in like even just the three series that you mentioned, it's like you build up, you show, you show us rapture you show us worse rapture and then you show us columbia and then at the end you can like you said you could tie it together right you could tie it together so that it all does show you this kind of unending cycle this unending loop it's that yeah. well this is going to lead to this this is going to lead to that and that and it, it is a show that would suggest and honestly if you're doing three seasons or three and a half maybe right with a coda i would highly suggest putting in as many easter eggs as many little nods as many hints as possible because if anything pays homage to the bioshock series it's multiple playthroughs right it's yeah. multiple runs it's always the same it's, it's roland getting to the dark tower and realizing he's done this before it's very much dark tower it is a and, lot like that yeah and and that's the beauty of it so to the point where like bioshock the show needs to be chock filled with so much stuff that you yeah. can't fully experience it in the first run right and i would love for there to be like almost like an audio companion to it to where you could listen to some of these audio logs oh, just make it like a mass media property right just go all <laughs> right. out just put because like a lot of stuff is doing this now you have comic books that are doing like audio comic books now like there's an audio wolverine series that's going out and i think people would really love to like you said you listen to the bioshock book on tape or on tape book on tape what year is it you listen oh, to i it. listen to it on my phonograph uh, <laughs> when talking about bioshock it's just like yeah we're gonna get these stories with these characters but you know the audio logs are so important that would be really cool to have like an audio companion thing that also gets put out maybe that follows a different character or follows a whole bunch of different characters and maybe each episode you get a couple of those i think it's I a think really great Really cool way to tie it together, but not something you're forced to watch, you know? No. I think, I think people are getting, we're not there yet, but streaming exhaustion is going to happen sure. where it's like, okay, to watch The Mandalorian, I have, I don't have to watch Rebels. I don't have to watch Clone Wars, but my experience with The Mandalorian is going to be enriched so much if I watch those. Of course. So you don't want to put too much out there to where people are like, I can't even keep up with this. I won't do it. But it's cool for the fans of the games and eventually of the show to have something else to talk about. It's like, well, did you listen to the audience? Audio logs this week so i think it's a really right. cool way to like That's tie cool. everything together yeah actually i think that would deepen a lot of the characterization and the storytelling when I mean, you're dealing with a property where you know time space and reality are all broken down yeah. bioshock has its own multiverse the game is its own black hole criticism of infinite was that it was a great game but it was too up its own butt meaning the lore of that series was basically devouring itself it was an arboros or whatever you want to call it well bioshock is one of them <laughs> it's one of them snake thingies and i think i think people respond well to that i think you're right actually mike i'm gonna propose something really daring then when they raise 10 billion dollars into the project which is what it would take to do what i'm describing they actually should film all three series at the same time yep so that they can start to implement exactly what we're talking about or film them sequentially, and then cut them into each other. Well, that's also something you could do for fun as well, you being the person editing this. could actually have it where 
maybe there's a second version of everything, right? Oh, kind of yeah. like you make almost like a legacy version where you're cutting stuff in and out together when, when you know, almost like you're jumping through realities. I think that could be very interesting as well. Yeah. I, I think that Bioshock, Bioshock is a franchise that tamper, that likes to tamper its own storyline and its own timeline to purposely make it a little bit more confusing and a little bit more out there. Yeah. Uh, and I think, like you said, it's it's something that's kind of very into its own mythology. And I don't think it's to a fault, right? I don't think that, I think that's how it has to be. No, I think that's it's part of the beauty of it. Part of what blew my mind when I went back, because remember, I played through them in reverse. So it's a heartbreaking moment in Infinite where Song, Songbird is killed. Songbird yeah. drowns because it's suddenly transported to rapture and it can't take the pressure of deep sea. Its eyeballs crack. It literally implodes. It's horrible. And you have to listen to it screaming as it dies. I promise I'm saying this for a reason. Then I played through the other games. In Bioshock 1, Sander Cohen has a protege uh, who's playing the piano. His name's Kyle Fitzpatrick. And famously, the kid can't play the piano in a way that pleases Sander Cohen. So he fucking lights him on fire. But when he's dying outside in the water, you're hearing these unreal machine screams. Yeah. And you're like, what is screaming out there that is a machine? And I knew because I had played through in the reverse that that's the songbird out there dying. Yeah. So you have to like layer these in such a way where you have like temporarily at least the mind of Ken Levine or Ken Levine uh, to say this is all happening at once and it's all not happening at once. All of these stories are just layered on top of each other. You would need someone who really understands that to kind of run the show and understand that these things, they, they're stacked. They're happening at the same time. And like you said, not happening at all. It's a really important part of Bioshock to relate it to itself. It needs to be so invested in itself from a storytelling perspective, from a narrative perspective that it doesn't make sense any other any other way. Right. I, yeah. I, listen, I totally agree. Obviously, I think they would do a nice job with it. I demand we hire John Favreau. Oh, of course. I mean, at this point, just <laughs> hire hire John Favreau to pretty much do anything he understands well. He definitely seems like a guy who's played Bioshock. So we'll give him a call. We'll call John Favreau and you know see who else is around. Hell yes. I don't know who the movie's with. I don't know who the current movie has been with or who's who's uh, messing around, but video game movies have been historically awful. They're almost so, all bad. They're almost, almost all bad. Almost all bad. Even the good ones are like, okay, that's not great, but it's good for a video game movie. Like the Pokemon Detective Pikachu movie was pretty pretty enjoyable, but not great. Prince um, of Persia was fine. Yeah, Prince of Persia was, was fine. fine. Apparently Sonic the Hedgehog was mediocre. Sonic um, the Hedgehog. As more and more gamers are getting involved in the production process of shows and movies and TV and things like that, I think we have the chance of finally seeing some good video game based movies and TV shows like you're you're explaining here. And like as proven by like a show like The Mandalorian which watches like a video game. Uh like the guys who made that show play a lot of open world RPGs without a doubt because the whole show is built like that. So BioShock is probably coming into a, a situation where if someone really understands how video games work and why people are so attracted to video game immersion and storytelling, I think they could do something really great. Your idea is wonderful. Like, oh, thank why you. Not, why not do a long series that, you know, kind of goes after each city? Maybe there's some hint in the Columbia season that shows the building of something like Rapture. Maybe, I mean, he would have been too old. Maybe, I don't know. Who knows? Time and reality are all suggestions in the Bioshock universe. So who knows if Comstock and Ryan have crossed paths at any time? Yeah, in many ways, they're the same character. And then they're also not the same character, you know, at all. They both fill just a function. Uh, yeah. You know, you referenced the Dark Tower. In many ways, the lighthouse is the Dark Tower. The lighthouse it's this, is. It's this center point around which all time, space and reality spin. And it's all just kind of like, different spokes on a wheel that's that's very much an idea of the dark tower well the thing with the dark tower that got me when i played bioshock infinite not when i played the first bioshock because it hadn't been there yet there in the dark tower there's that phrase right there's always a tower there's always a man there's always no there's always a tower there's always a man in black and there's always a gunslinger right is that how it goes i don't quite remember but something like that something yeah. like that and then i think there's a point where elizabeth says to booker Oh yeah, there's always a lighthouse, there's, a lighthouse, there's, always, a there's always a man, and there's always a there's city. Always a city, yeah. So it's clear that, especially since like Bioshock was made by a company out of Boston, right? It's a very New England type thing. Stephen King's from Maine. <laughs> he loves the Red Sox. Yeah, exactly. Stephen King's a big Red Sox fan. They definitely read Stephen King, at least The Dark Tower. And I think that you're getting directors and writers who write and direct TV and movies now who played Bioshock and then probably read Stephen King. So you're getting this great domino effect to where we might be at the point of being being able to actually experience something from this universe turned into some sort of entertainment medium that's actually good. Yeah. And I think it's a great idea. I think it's a great pitch. I would watch it day one. 
Day one. Day, day one, one. Watch again. Day one. Absolutely. Day one. After you know, I finish whatever whatever seven shows that Marvel and Star Wars released that week. Then I'll watch the first episode of Marvel. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. Totally. This seems this sounds great, man. Thank you so much. This is a great pitch. Oh, thank you. Uh, I think I think folks would enjoy seeing it. I actually think I think why people often talk about this one being made into something more than a video game is because we all recognize that the story functions on a level that goes beyond the game, and I think we would just like to see that brought to life. That's not knocking video games. I love no. them as a medium for storytelling. I just think there's more to this one that can be shown. Let's be let's be fair and honest here. Most video game stories even at their best are B movie. Sure, that B, happens a lot. Yeah. B B movie B movie quality. Just because of the type of things they tackle and the type of stuff they kind of let slide because they 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 kind of ask you to suspend your disbelief. BioShock can tell an can tell an A movie story, I think if handled with the right folks. I think so too. Uh, you know, I think I think at its heart, it's an A sci-fi story. I really exactly. do. The the early installations are like an A sci-fi horror, and the later installations are like an A sci-fi detective story, like a Blade Runner or something yeah. like that. No, it's great. really great. I think this is awesome. Thank you for sharing this. Sharing this with the class. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you for this deep dive today. Oh, we did it again, didn't we? We, we dive diving we, deep. Deep trawled those fathoms. I'm running out of nautical puns. We're gonna That's, have to stop. Uh, yeah, um, we need. It's to... like a Gulliver slash Gulliver over here. I need some help <laughs> from him. From the old seagull. Listen, we're not talking about Animal Crossing yet. That'll be another week. <laughs> so, Internet, thank you so much for listening to How About This, where today we talked about Bioshock. I think Jordan gave us a wonderful pitch, and I think he himself needs to start his own utopian city based off the Bioshock games. I'm gonna call it Jordan-topia. I like it. It's, uh, you know, it's right on the nose and I love when things are right on the nose. As always, <coughs> though, I am Mike Staub, our co-host, your co-host, this show's co-host, Mr. Jordan Hugh. Thank you so much, my co-host. friend. Yeah, he'll be his own co-host. Thank you so much again, man. Thank you, sir. Jeff Bezos, if you're listening, I know you're listening. You're listening to all of us at all times. You have all the money in the world. Please make this Bioshock series. Yeah, put it on Amazon Prime. Why not? Yes. Right in exchange, after... I will I will continue my Amazon Prime membership until my death. <laughs> but everyone, thanks again for listening. I'm Mike Staub. Jordan, say all goodbye right. to the everyone. Goodbye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Enjoy. Somewhere beyond the sea, somewhere waiting for me. Welcome back, Topside. We hope you enjoyed your deep dive into the Bioshock universe. And we want to thank you for listening to yet another episode of How About This? Now's the time where we ask for you to please like and subscribe to our podcast on the podcatcher of your choosing. And please find us on Instagram at HowAboutThisPod. Please leave a review, give us a rating, do all those things to help this podcast become more visible to people out there while they search for the podcast they want to listen to. Because every single thing you write, every review, every subscribe helps us that much more. And if you have any topics that you would love us to talk about, please feel free to reach out to us on Instagram. Let us know what you want to hear about on the show because while this is a show we love to do about properties that we love, we want to know what you love too and we want to talk about those things as well. So from all of us here at How About This, thank you so much and have a great day.